With the elections less than a week behind us, there are those who are happy and those who are sad based on the outcome of those elections. So how do we handle it biblically? We'll focus on that next on this edition of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. From Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, hello and welcome to today's broadcast. Our time together today with Pastor Steve Converse returns us to our mini-series called A Biblical Perspective on Elections. Well, we've re-elected our current president, and we've put a lot of other people into office, and we voted on a lot of propositions this past Tuesday. Some of us are happy, some of us well, not so much. So how do we handle it biblically? How do we look at this and view this from a Christian perspective with Christ's eyes? That's the focus of our time together today. Please join us. Here's Pastor Steve Converse with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. If you're serious about bringing blessing to this nation, then go out and preach the gospel. Because I guarantee you there's no connection between the national entity of the United States of America and the kingdom of God. Jesus said it as clearly as he could, my kingdom is not of this world. They're two completely different realities. Why is it that somehow we've gotten the idea that we have to posture America politically for the advancement of the kingdom of God? They have absolutely no connection. We've even heard people say, if America keeps going this way, if it keeps, and sin gets more and more accepted in our society, it gets more and more corrupt, boy, you know, it's going to cripple the impact of the gospel. It's going to cause evangelism to be hard to do, if not illegal. We have to fight for all these freedoms in order for us to be able to preach the gospel. Let me tell you this morning, there is nothing that can be done, has been done, will be done on the face of the earth by men politically or socially that has any impact whatsoever on the purposes of God in redemption. None. That should be an encouragement to us. Fifthly, this cultural morality puts the responsibility on man rather than God. It has well-intentioned people trying to do the impossible. I mean, I don't mind taking on a hard task if I know I can succeed and, and, and be rewarded as such. But there's nothing worse than trying to do something you know you're going to fail. We can't make this country moral. It's a battle we can't win. Those who are accustomed to doing evil, Jeremiah 13.23 says, can't do good. So it's impossible to do. So why even try? Number six, the effort at cultural morality creates morality without theology. It creates morality without theology. I don't know about you, but I don't like anything without theology. I want theology on everything, on every plate. I don't like anything without theology because, you know, I can't understand anything apart from God's voice on it, his revelation of it. Our understanding of the world should be completely subject to what Scripture says. But see, this cultural morality that's in Christendom today, it's growing religious right effort, there's been a severe ignorance of theology. It's an ignorance of his word, it's an ignorance of his law. There's no theology involved. That's not how this stuff gets done. Morality without theology doesn't have the right motivation. You hear people say, well, we got to you know, protect our cultural morality because of our children. 
Well, that's a reasonable thing, but that's not our highest motive for what we do. Our goal is to proclaim the truth, not just protect our children. Now, protecting our children is obvious a responsibility we have before God, and we'll do that. But we can't be trying to create a national environment that's somehow going to incubate our kids. Sounds good, but that's not going to happen. Our motive is the glory of God and the honor of God. That's where our motivation should be. And we need to stop this putting theology aside. I know why they do it. But as soon as you do, the whole, the whole train goes off the tracks. Number seven, if it, cultural morality fails to understand that salt and light, as indicated in Matthew 5, what Jesus meant by that. He says, we're the salt of the earth, we're the light of the world. That salt and that light are not moral influence, but the gospel witness. You know, you hear people all the time, well, we have to be the salt and the light. We have to be the salt and the light. Well, what do they mean by that? Does that mean somehow we're supposed to make people moral? That's not going to work. The imagery of the of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, as we went over it, is the image of shining forth of truth. That's the light, the preservation of godly living. And we're the salt when when we are a preservative because of the virtue and godliness in our lives. Cultural morality also is dangerous because it has no New Testament model. There's no New Testament model at all in the New Testament about cultural morality except that of the Pharisees. Jesus said this about them in Matthew 23, 15. When you're through making somebody a convert to your morality, you have made him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. (laughs) Pretty strong statement. It ends up in being a very legalistic society. Jesus said to them one day as they picked up the stones, you remember, to stone an adulterous woman, whoever is without sin, throw the first stone. Well, it wasn't too long before the stones started dropping and people started walking away. These, are, these were people who thought they were righteous. Number nine, cultural morality creates unholy unions in which the unbelieving and enemies of the gospel are welcomed. There's a lot of non-Christians involved in this religious right effort. Because they believe we have to have a moral country. I mean, you can get the Muslims involved in this. They're moral to a certain degree. You can get Catholics involved in this. You can get some Orthodox Jews involved in this. So what are you doing? All of a sudden, as believers, you're linking arms with non-believers. And the last time I checked, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says we shouldn't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What does fellowship of light have to do with darkness, what agreement has Christ with Satan? Come out from among them and be separate. But what happens when you're trying to achieve a kind of a moral, uh, a cultural morality? You're trying to get a base. And to get a strong base, you have to kind of throw the net real wide. So pretty soon you're hooking up with anybody that will say, yeah, I'm against abortion. I'm against homosexuality. I'm against this. Oh, I don't care what you believe. That's irrelevant because we want to leave theology out of the mix. We just want to know if you're anti-abortion, anti-homosexual, anti-euthanasia, against pornography. And then we're all going to get together and put our efforts together and try to create a more uh, moral America. And you put all this effort and all this time to bring all these people together. Why do you think you leave theology out of that mix? What are you going to do? Get all these people together and say, oh, by the way, we believe that Jesus is the only way for salvation. And if you're not, if you don't love the Lord Jesus Christ, you're condemned to hell. Well, that's going to blow up your whole organization. In that environment, the the gospel becomes destructive. And that leads to another problem here, is cultural morality leads to acceptance of inclusivism. 
It starts to stretch the boundaries of the kingdom of God to embrace all these people who are outside of Christ. And we hear it all the time. Well, I'm sure, you know, Mormons are well-meaning people. I'm sure Roman Catholics are well-meaning people. I'm sure well-meaning Muslim. I'm sure they'll go to heaven. If they're not in Christ, they're not going to heaven. But this cultural morality kind of stretches the borders of the kingdom of heaven. He said in Galatians 1, Paul said this, If you meet anybody who gives you another gospel than the one that I gave you, let him be accursed. You can't preach the gospel in that kind of environment. Your whole organization would blow up. (laughs) People would be offended. People would leave. Then who would listen to you? Also, cultural morality becomes selective as to the sins it attacks. You ever notice that? The religious right is real quick to point out, you know, homosexuality and abortion and immorality. When's the last time you heard them talk about pride, which is also a sin God hates? I haven't heard them rant and rave much about materialism. I haven't seen a great effort against divorce or adultery. I mean, they're really against homosexuality because that's so bizarre and abnormal. They're really against pedophilia. That's sick and abnormal. They're against killing babies. That's, you know, safe. I mean, who can imagine doing that? They're against filth and pornography. But it seems like there's, they're selective in their morality. There's certain things they don't talk about. And you remember at one point in America, one of the greatest advocates for the religious right, a national spokesman, a well-known politician, while he was developing his contract on America, was found out to be involved with another woman who wasn't his wife. Wow. It's a selective thing. Let me just put it to you real straight. You know, this whole cultural morality thing, it doesn't deal with the worst possible sin there is. It doesn't deal with it. It doesn't even mention it. And you say, well, how do you know what the worst possible sin is? You know what the worst possible sin in the world is? Sure you do. Stop and think of it this way. What's the greatest commandment? <laughs> what did Jesus say the greatest commandment? That's right. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. So let me ask you again. Well, then what's the greatest sin? <laughs> to break the greatest commandment. How are we doing this morning? We doing okay? You've committed the greatest sin. I've committed the greatest sin. We still want to talk about morality? Well, let's talk about that. You want to talk about sin? Let's not pick out five that we don't uh, partake of that are kind of easily to assault because it makes us looking pretty good. Let's talk about the fact that you've broken the greatest commandment. Therefore, you've committed the greatest sin that any human being could ever commit. And that that sin ultimately sends you to eternal hell. You doing okay? You have failed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. R.C. Sproul, theologian, said this one time. He said... And you know what? You haven't kept that commandment as at any time in your life for five seconds. (laughs) Can't keep that commandment. It's impossible. If you want to go after America's immorality, then let's indict the whole nation for not loving God. That is not only the first and the greatest commandment. That is the sum of all the commandments. And we can't even do the second one. The second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. We can't even keep that for five seconds. And so if we're going to get moral... Let's go where we need to go. Let's not just be selective. If we're going to call America to morality, then let's indict them where they need to be indicted. And let's indict our own hearts where we need to be indicted. And say we've broken the first and greatest commandment. We've broken the second commandment. And we do it all the time. Therefore, we're condemned to hell. And we're in desperate need of God's grace and forgiveness and salvation through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Number 12, the... Cultural morality fails to understand the true nature of spiritual warfare. 
They talk about all this, you know, these propositions, all this is all spiritual warfare. No, it's not. Spiritual warfare is not engaged in human efforts, beloved, politically to change laws. Well, what is spiritual warfare? Second Corinthians chapter 10 tells us. It tells us that spiritual warfare is smashing down all human ideologies with the truth of God. That's spiritual warfare. Bringing captives out and bringing them into obedience to Christ, submission to the truth of God through the word of God. The real spiritual war is simply this. You have a whole world of people who think wrong. <laughs> Their thinking is damning them. They think wrong about themselves. They think wrong about God. They think wrong about Christ if they think about Him at all. They need to think differently. They need to know the truth. They need to know the gospel. They need to know the truth about themselves, the truth about God, the truth about Christ, the truth about His work, the truth about salvation, the truth about grace and forgiveness. They need to know the truth. And it's when you bring that truth to the person and you engage in the war with their mind so that you can bring the truth to bear upon their wrong thinking. That's real spiritual warfare. It's an ideological battle. But the real war is bringing the truth of Christ to those in error. So what's the church doing? <laughs> what should we be doing? We should be preaching the glorious, extensive, complete, and whole message of redemption through the Lord Jesus Christ. And take that great message to these people who are fortified in these ideological fortresses in which literally they're going to die unless someone smashes the walls down of those lying fortifications with the truth. That's real spiritual warfare. It's not a political one. It's for the minds and eternal souls of people, and it's about the truth, delivering them from error to truth. And only God can do that through His Word, through His Spirit. Cultural morality also is dangerous because it makes those we are commanded to lovingly reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ into the enemy rather than a mission field. The unbelievers, the immoral, the homosexualities, the abortionists, the pornographers, all those people, cultural morality turns them into the enemy. Beloved, they are not the enemy. They were created in God's image just like you and I. They're victims of the enemy. And they need to be freed from the enemy's bondage through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ in His glorious gospel. You remember the story of Jonah in the Old Testament. You think of the Ninevites. These people were a wretched people. They were pagans. They slaughtered their enemies and they piled their skulls in pyramids. They would take dead bodies of, of the, the wars that they won and the people they slaughtered and they'd back up a whole river by piling up these dead bodies. They would cover pillars in buildings with the filleted skin of the conquered ruler. Disgusting. They were wicked. They hated God. They were enemies of Israel and God. And here comes Jonah, and God taps him on the shoulder and says, Hey, uh, preacher, prophet, I want you to go and you, you preach to those people in Nineveh. What did Jonah say? Ah, no chance, no way, I don't think so. And he heads 2,000 miles in the opposite direction. To him, that was a repulsive thought. Preach forgiveness to the Ninevites? Well, we know the story after being swallowed and then vomited. <laughs> One commentator wrote, frankly, any fish would have vomited up a bitter prophet like Jonah. Well, after that experience, he realized God meant business, and he went to Nineveh, and he preached. Some say 600,000 people. And the Bible tells us the whole place repented. The whole place fell on their faces before God. And you think that as a prophet, as someone who's God's representative with God's message, he would be happy about this. 
he would be glorifying the Lord. He wasn't. He was really, he was really mad. He was ticked off. He was miserable. Matter of fact, he was so mad that he wanted to die. See, that's how moralism can be some, can become such a severe danger. He was a legalist, Jonah was. Kind of a racist in a way. He didn't want these wretched Gentiles to hear about forgiveness. He didn't want them kind of crowding in on his forgiveness with God. One thing we want to make sure, we always want to make sure that sinners in our world know that we love them enough to offer them forgiveness. I don't want them to ever think that I hate them. Now, there is a holy hatred of sin and the sinner. But even Jesus wept over them. And so must we. That's why one thing when these political campaigns come around and people, oh, well, you put this in your front yard. Well, hey, I don't put anything in my front yard. And it's not because of shame, I'm ashamed of what I stand up for or what I believe. My concern is maybe the people across the street, maybe the, the next door neighbors. What if they take a different political view? Well, you know what? I just slammed a door right in their face as far as kind of creating any kind of a relationship and sharing Christ with them. If I'm for Proposition 8 and the guy catacorner for me is against Proposition 8, you don't think that puts up a little barrier there over a crazy proposition? I'm going to miss a chance to share the gospel with somebody who desperately needs to hear it? And so today we have more and more Christians. Another danger of this is that it brings persecution and the hatred of Christians for the wrong reasons. You hear people all the time, well, I put a thing in my front yard we heard that this this campaign a lot of people sporting certain things or propositions you know and they would deface the house and sometimes the people inside the house would be christians well we're being persecuted for our faith no you're not you're being persecuted because you took a political stance that's all you're being persecuted for christians are being vilified today in the media they're getting persecuted for all the wrong reasons they're definitely not getting persecuted because they're preaching the gospel of christ the story of a, a pastor in Russia when before the walls came down and communism fell, and he was in America at a, a conference, and they were asking him certain things. And, oh, you know, we get persecuted all the time. We're thrown into jail for uh, preaching the gospel, thrown into jail for coming to church. The person that was interviewing them asked him, well, you know, don't you kind of protest that? Don't you want to fight against that, that your government does that to you? And he kind of laughed, and he said, you know, we made a, uh, a commitment a long time ago as a church in a communist nation, that we've deter determined as a church that if we are ever going to suffer, it will be always and only because we have proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ, not for political purposes. And that's right. First Peter 4.14 says, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. It doesn't say if you're reviled because you support a certain proposition or you support a certain candidate. People who call themselves Christians today are getting vilified by the world for their political positions and for their animosity and their hostility toward the people who are the ones we're supposed to reach. Also, cultural morality reverses the divine order. It makes morality the power for salvation. If somehow we could get a more moral America, then more people are going to believe the gospel. That's totally reversed from what God says. Somehow if we can clean up the country. It'll give us great opportunity to share the gospel. That's really the reverse of the divine order. Morality is not the power for salvation. Salvation is the power for morality. So if we want to change the nation, what do we need to be working on? We need to be sharing the gospel. This effort at cultural morality also fails to understand the wrath of God. It fails to understand the wrath of God. In Romans 1, God tells us very clearly when he's angry with a nation that has turned against him. 
when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. You know, that, that text. When God is angry at a nation that has had the truth and kind of just put it off, put it aside, God says three times, he gave them up, he gave them up, he gave them up. That's a form of God's judgment. And the first thing is he gave them up to sexual immorality. We see that all around us. That happened back in the, uh, the age of love and all that. Secondly, he gave them up to homosexuality. We see that all around us. And thirdly, it says he gave them up to a twisted, reprobate, useless mind. You don't have to look too far to see a reprobate mind today in society. And so we look at our nation. We see sexual immorality rampant. We see homosexuality rampant. Reprobate minds everywhere. What's this evidence of? The blessing of God? I don't think so. It's evidence of the wrath of God. And do you think for one minute that somehow by your political agenda, by your political effort, you can overturn the wrath of God? I don't know what God is doing in the world, but I do know this, beloved. I know what my mandate is. My mandate has to do with the gospel and the gospel alone. Moralism confuses and it misses the priority for Christians in the world. It misrepresents the divine message that man, moral or immoral, is damned and must be saved and can be saved only by believing the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't forget, beloved, it was the highly moral, highly religious Jews who were very particular about all their righteous standards. It was those people who joined with the immoral, idolatrous Romans who openly flaunted their sins. They joined arms together, the moral and the immoral, and together they killed Christ. Don't overestimate morality. So to what are we called? Paul says in Romans 1, very clearly, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God onto salvation. How do we change America? By preaching the gospel. So our calling is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Transforming power of the gospel will make new creatures. And for those new creatures, as we've already experienced, all things have become new. That's how God designed this to work. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you this morning for your word that speaks to these issues that we all face. And Lord, no matter who is going to be elected on Tuesday, no matter what propositions fail or pass on Tuesday, that really has little to do with, absolutely nothing to do with your kingdom the kingdom of salvation, the kingdom of God. We pray, Lord, that you would raise up a great force of people among us who would preach tirelessly the gospel of Christ, the gospel of salvation, not a gospel of cultural morality. Then and only then can we be a people, a nation, a changed people, a changed nation. Keep us clear to our calling that we're to be ambassadors with the ministry of reconciliation who possess the word of reconciliation in order that hearing people might believe and believing they will become new creatures in whom all things are new. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. 
and we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. Gracefultruth.org is where to go. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.